Yes, it's back. What is good? It is Lefko Show with the man, the myth, the legend, Warren Sharp. We are taking in what happened in week three. We are looking ahead of what happened in week four. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about it, Warren, but it was a good week for you last week, huh? Felt good? It felt good. It felt great to share good information with the 33%, get everybody ready for the games, you know, try to give them what they need to be looking for. And then they actually see it happen. And it's a beautiful thing when that when that works out. And I want to tell everybody two things. If you're listening on audio, you're missing out on Warren's amazing shirt. Uh, I don't know where he's been shopping lately, uh, but the swag has been exploding and it's phenomenal. And the two uh, is that Warren and I talked for a long time last night, which means that today's show is refined and it's full of good information. Uh, As always, uh, a lot of you sent me uh, pictures of of slips and betting things that you listened to what we said, and we're never going to tell you what to do, uh, but we gave you a lot of information and people actually bet and they made a lot of money. Um, and Sharp, this is something you do, man. And you told me last night if people want to go to Sharp Football Analysis, you have a code uh, if they want to get all of your picks from you from the source. And I witnessed it this week where you said, Hey, I kind of like this line. And then you gave out information. And then I watched 16 casinos, 16 sports books change their line. So, what's the code that? that the 33%, if they want to uh, check out this stuff, they can use on sharpfootballanalysis.com. Yeah, the code is easy. It's just sharp20. I'm giving 20% off everywhere. We're not advertising this anywhere else. This is just for you guys if you're listening to to our show, uh, the Left Coast Show. That's the only people that are going to get this. And mainly it's because we're, we're talking about a lot of great insight here, but we want to be able to share a little bit of the uh, – Detailed write-ups and nuggets and things of that nature and get ahead of the line moves like you mentioned when, when points are moving when games are moving by a couple of points So we want to beat those line moves now that I'm like seeing this underbelly of this world war and you're kind of like a tour guide for me It's wild to watch you go. Hey, I kind of like this and watch the number change and before I, I never knew that that was even possible um, So the things that we're gonna do today uh, We're gonna take you to sharp school some information that maybe you didn't know uh, and some lessons that we've learned packaged in a way that maybe you could do something with it. We're going to look at the big line movements. I've tracked how this has actually impact favorites and unders and how it's gone uh, by looking at the look headlines, which we do every week. And then we're going to break down some primetime games and do some super contests. But we're going to go to sharp school. And the first thing we're going to start off with is strength of schedule. A lot of people look at strength of schedule in terms of 20 2018 and how you did and and a lot of people rightly so sharp go that information's dumb we're basing this off of 2018 well you're looking at the first three weeks compared to week four and we're looking at things like explosive plays and one of the games that jumped out to you right away in terms of two teams that faced a certain kind of opponent weeks one through three and then four was Washington and New York what jumped off the page to you Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I clearly look at, just like you said, is understanding the context of strength of schedule, especially early in the season. And so the thing that jumped off to me right away for these two teams is the caliber of defenses that both faced. I mean, if you look at the Washington Redskins, uh, they face the fifth toughest schedule of run defenses so far this season. I mean, last week, obviously, we just saw they played the Chicago Bears. 
And that was, you know, Chicago's got a great run defense. Prior to that, they played the Dallas Cowboys. Yep. Um, and prior to that, the Philadelphia Eagles. All three of those teams, top 10 run defenses. Two of them are top five run defenses. Mm. Now they get to go up against the New York Giants, who rank 24th against the run. And I think that's going to be a big edge for the Redskins in this game. Similarly, they also play the Giants' pass defense, of course. And th th is is there even such a thing? What is the Giants' Man. pass? I mean, Jameis Winston just lit these guys up. They rank 31st in the NFL right now in pass defense. The Redskins played the 15th toughest schedule year to date. So you're moving from like above average in both of those to like well below average, bottom 10 in pass and run. But you know, you would say, oh, that's a massive edge for the Redskins, and it is. It's also an edge for the New York Giants because the Redskins defense ranks 27th in passing and 25th in rushing. So they're bad. And the Giants have played the top 10 most difficult run defenses, top 11 most difficult pass mm. defense. So they've gone up against a very difficult schedule as well. So you, you really don't want to, I mean, the mainstream, and this is just a little educational nugget. We talked about it, this in the off season, Adam, the mainstream looks at strength of schedule and says, What's the combined win-loss record of what you played last season? And we don't want to do that. We want to look at uh, strength of schedule based on efficiency metric, based on Las Vegas win totals. And now that we're in the middle of the season, what don't you hear of in the mainstream media? You do not hear any more discussion about strength of schedule. It's as if every single team, because it's the NFL and there's parity, plays the same exact opponents yep. and everything is equal. Nobody talks about in-season strength of schedule. And that's one of the most massive edges that we can get. And it's one of the things that we're going to be talking about consistently on this show every single week. So you found this early on. I think it was Monday. You saw the line the over under was at 47. And this is an example. Warren, you put some action on it and the line changed almost immediately. Yeah, we sent out um, over 47, and it's now 49, 49 and a half. And, I mean, that's a two, two-and-a-half-point line move, and, and it moves pretty quickly to that number. Um, and It's you know, a not healthy number. It's a healthy number. Uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, based on my new model that I'm running, you know, I, there, there still potentially could be a little bit of value. Like, I still think there might be more points scored. That being said, I would not advocate right now taking 49, 49 and a half. This thing opened at 46, 46 and a half mm. at several spots. You want to wait. Potentially, it will come down. And you and I talked about kind of the pros and cons of, of me telling that to people. Yeah. And then what, it's actually going to come down now that I've actually said that we'll, I will wait. We'll, we'll find out now. So wait till it gets to 48. If it does come back down, I think it probably will a little bit. Um, we'll have to see. You know, there's some injury concerns. Case Keenum didn't practice yesterday. Uh, and Colt McCoy, like they just activated him. So uh, we'll, we'll see what the Redskins quarterback situation ends up looking like. The other thing is, it's interesting, we, we kind of go through the league and we're looking for those dramatic changes where a team has faced an easy schedule for three games and then it gets harder. We just saw in the Giants-Washington, they faced a tougher schedule that suddenly gets easier. The opposite, where it suddenly gets tougher, it's a great matchup. It's Bills-Patriots, and you're seeing it on both sides facing tougher. What, what are we seeing from the Bills' perspective in terms of the defenses they faced compared to now facing a Patriots defense with Bill Belichick calling it? It's going to suddenly get tougher like that. Yeah, the Buffalo Bills have been lucky. They've been for facing uh, the like the 22nd, 21st rated schedule of opposing defenses, whether it's pass versus run. 
and we know the Buff, the uh, New England Patriots defense is ridiculously good. And Buffalo has gone up against. Oh, I was just going to say, I put my finger up because the Patriots are one in both. So the Bills are going from 22 and 21 in pass and run, and now they're facing the number one toughest defense in both the run and the pass. And so we're going to learn a lot about Josh Allen this weekend. Yeah, we are. Now, the interesting thing is, if you look at the Patriots, I mean, they faced the Miami Dolphins, who clearly are not good. They faced the New York Jets, who were playing without Sam Darnold. So maybe that defense is not like the absolute best by far in the NFL. But I will say that defense is really good. We predicted it coming into the season that if the Patriots didn't have Josh Gordon, didn't have Antonio Brown, and obviously don't have Rob Gronkowski, this defense is capable of carrying this team. And I think this defense is certainly going to be capable of slowing down this Buffalo Bills offense, which has played the Giants that we talked about and the Cincinnati Bengals just last week. And the Jets as well, yeah. And the Jets as well. On the, the, the Jets had Darnold that game, sure. but it still was a defense that they could take advantage of. On the flip side, the New England Patriots, they've faced some easy defenses themselves. You know, we just talked about a couple of those games that played the Miami Dolphins. Uh, overall, the New England Patriots have played the 24th ranked schedule of opposing pass defenses. Now they have to go up against the Buffalo Bills, who have the number four ranked schedule of pass defense. So, New England Patriots are going to need to lean a little bit more on the run game. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. What might be the implications because of injuries at their fullback position? We'll right. dive into that. Looking forward to breaking that yeah, down. That combined with the, the Harrison Phillips starting nose tackle for the Buffalo Bills is out, which makes you think the Patriots kind of want to attack that. That line over under 42 and a half. Look, we're talking about Giants-Washington getting suddenly easier, Patriots-Bills getting suddenly harder. The line of 42-and-a-half kind of pops out to you a little bit. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's it's hard to go under in a, in a game with uh, with Tom Brady and the Patriots dropping 42-42-point yeah. you know, total. But the key is there is a key number involved here, and that's 41. 41 hits fairly often in totals. Um, and so, you know, if, if you were to go – under this game and this total happened to drop lower, you wouldn't want to take anything worse than 41. Mm. Um, being said, you know, I don't think that's an, an, an issue right now. It's certainly not right now. And I doubt it would get below 41 close to kickoff. It's just a super, super low total. But when you look at the way that this game sets up again, we'll discuss it. Seems like we're going to get a little bit of a grinder probably early on in this game. Especially because as I've been saying all week, last year, Patriots at Buffalo, Derek Anderson, four days off the golf course. Buffalo was heading in to the fourth quarter with the Patriots down nine to six. And it took an 84-yard pick six from Devin McCourty last year to really bust that game open. And that total went under 42. So we'll see. Again, it's Josh Allen's an interesting quarterback for the Patriots to defend. Uh, But those are the two strength of schedules from week ones through three to four that are more the more dramatic ones that we can pay attention to that other people aren't paying attention to. We're going to stay in sharp school. But right now, Warren, I'm hearing some rumors in the hallway. I'm hearing some people talking some crap, and I don't know if they know exactly what they're talking about. Everybody watched Sunday night's game, and it was Browns-Rams, and we're focusing right now on Freddie Kitchens, and everybody's talking about how a lot of three wide receiver sets, that's something that you've been spotlighting all off, really the first three weeks, but also, should he turn the play calls over to Todd Munkin? Maybe he's not ready for it. And Warren, we talked about it last night, 
you're actually thinking maybe they're listening to Todd Monken too much. I'm not hearing this anywhere. And part of the reason is you're seeing so much 11 personnel for everybody that's three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end. But you think that's the Todd Monken special and people might actually have it backwards right now. Yeah, Todd Monken came in in the offseason and put his influence into this offense. Now, Freddie Kitchens physically calls the plays, but one of the biggest things that we saw last year when Freddie Kitchens got involved with the Browns and turned this offense around from what Hugh Jackson had it um, was he utilized a lot more 12 personnel. When he came in, that offense dropped down to only 68% of passes came out of 11 personnel when Freddie Kitchens was there in 2018. That's well, that's below average by several percentage points. And they were really efficient when they passed out of 12 and 13. 12 is two tight ends, 13 is three tight ends. So they had extra blockers in there to help make life easier on Baker Mayfield. They averaged uh, 67% success rate in either case when they passed out of 12 or 13 and averaged 9.6 yards per attempt out of 12 and 11.7 yards per attempt out of 13. But in 2019, because of two things, I think, the first one being injury at tight end position, obviously David Njoku is out, but prior to that, even week one, they're using a lot of 11 personnel, like 91%, up from 68% to 91%, that's, That's crazy. Because of, it's, it's a huge increase. I think they had one pass out of a non-11 personnel grouping uh, in week one of the season. And that was when Njoku was healthy. That is Todd Monken's influence, in my opinion. Freddie Kitchens didn't come in last year and do that. Now, you could have the situation where both guys think it's smart because we've got three great wide receivers. Why not put them out on the field more? But I think the issue right now is pass protection. You've got to make Baker Mayfield feel comfortable. I noticed it even last year when Baker was getting pressured and there were bodies around him. He just did not have the same efficiency in the pocket, but that offensive line was better and they used an extra tight end to block more. Now your offensive line is weaker. You're not using extra tight end to block. His passer rating, we talked about it on the show last week, very low when it comes to when he's under pressure and using so much 11 personnel has definitely impacted his ability to find success. This matchup turning the page forward to this week, interesting because they're playing the Baltimore Ravens who really struggle. We've talked about it. Yeah, the three wide receivers are more on the field. Yep, absolutely. So the issue is not going to be should they not use it here. I think they, they probably should, but you've got to figure out a way to slow that pass rush down from the Baltimore Ravens because if that pass rush messes up with Baker Mayfield, especially early in that game, it's not going to be good for Cleveland. Yeah, my big counter to that coaching staff would be like, sure, in the preseason you had three really good wide receivers. We haven't seen a full-strength Rashard Higgins all season thus far. So they're, they're throwing in some other guys in that third wide receiver spot that I don't even know if they warrant that amount of tension on the field. As you mentioned with Njoku being out, it's putting Demetrius Harris, who many people classify more as a wide receiver, a pass catcher than an inline blocker, and Ricky Seals-Jones, who literally was a wide receiver in college. And so it makes you kind of look at where where are they blocking, and then you factor in trading Kevin Zeitler this offseason and the weakened offensive line. The one thing that I always learn from Warren is we can make it obvious 
that a team needs to change, but we never really know if a coach is going to see it. We think that they're going to be smart enough and realize it themselves. So, Warren, the question I ask for you is, we've hammered it home now. Three weeks in a row, the Browns are obsessed with three wide receivers on the field, and it's hurting them. When will you know that they've learned from their mistake? And how do you learn, wow, we can, we can really bet against this because they just can't get off it? How, when do we realize the wells run dry from a coaching intelligence perspective? Right. Well, the hard part is, you know, I work for some NFL teams as a consultant and I'm able to like share and provide some information. Even when I'm doing that, it's not fully known ahead of the game whether or not they're going to implement that, right? I'm providing this information to them to try to make them aware of it and try to help them in their matchup. Coaches are stubborn, man. They really some, are. Some of them can be. And, and you know, they might think, well, this is good information, but uh, I think we've got a little edge in this matchup here, so let's try it this other way. Um, it's, it's no fault of theirs that they might want to try something different. But in this case with, you know, what Freddie Kitchens is doing, it's certainly been presented um, hard enough by me into the media, into the Twitterverse, that I think they've probably been made aware of this. Um, but again, will they do anything about it this particular game against the Ravens when the Ravens are susceptible? Yeah. Why are they susceptible? They're susceptible because they've had two injuries in that secondary to starters. Uh, one was in the offseason, one was early, and they are down bodies. And so when you spread them out, you're having more success. Even last week, we talked about it on this show. We talked about the fact that uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs were probably a more success in 11, and they've been using a lot more 11 so far this year. What did they do in, out of 11 against the Ravens this past week? Out of 11, three wide receivers again, 12.2 yards per attempt. But when they went 12, they only averaged uh, 6.3 yards per attempt, almost half. Okay, And when they were... Um, and, and they had a much higher passer rating and yards per attempt when they were passing out of 11. Mm. They actually increased their usage of 12 from their year-to-date average, however, I think in part because that pass rush was giving Patrick Mahomes a few problems. Yeah, and it was. more beneficial for Andy Reid to say, look, we got to mix up enough 12 in here so that we're helping Mahomes a little bit more often. But their run game was substantially more efficient out of 11 as well. Uh, 73% success rate, 8.8 yards per carry out of 11. When they were in 12, that was 8.8 was down to 3.3. So they were much better running out of 11 too. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic that Cleveland's going to, normally in situations like this, I think that it's better not to bet on a change you should bet that the coach is going to do the same types of things that he's been doing until we see with our own eyes otherwise. Mm. And that's the way we approach this particular game. And again, in this particular game, it's not a bad thing. But in terms of like being able to bet when is a coach going to change, when are they going to adapt, um, I think you bet that the coach is more likely to do what he's been doing year to date with a couple rare exceptions, one of which being like Bill Belichick, who game plans for their opponents better than anybody else in the league. Let's go into Belichick because uh, we're going to, this is the last lesson of sharp school today. 
Uh, Bill Belichick has had a few people on his team that are non-negotiable. They're making the roster. Phil Simms used to joke with me this all the time. He'd say, Adam, who are the three guys that are guaranteed to make the Patriots roster this year? And I would go, Tom Brady. And he'd go, yep. I'd go, Matthew Slater. And he'd go, yep. And I'd go, Pat Devlin. And he'd go, you nailed it. Belichick cares about his quarterback, his special teams ace, and his fullback. I'm going to go through a little bit of the statistics that Warren told me last night about the Patriots and their obsession with the fullback. And Warren, I'll turn it to you afterwards. But 21 personnel, okay? That's two running backs, one tight end. And for the Patriots, that's a fullback and that's a running back. The league average is 11%. The Patriots ran it 38% of the time. So they are so far above the league average of using a fullback, it's crazy. Now, we just talked about how the league average for 11, which again, three wide receivers, one tight end, run, one running back, it's the most popular formation in the league that Warren has found. The league average is 64% of the time. 64% of the time, the league is trotting out three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end. The Patriots ran it 53% of the time, which is very low, a huge gap between the rest of the league. The question, though, is now, with the running back, with the, with the fullback being gone, what do you think, Warren? Are they going to go more toward the, towards 11? Or, like, what personnel could we expect? Will we see R- Burkhead and James White on the field together? Uh, Sony Michelle, will we see two tight ends, one running back? What have your statistics shown about what the Patriots will do now that Devlin is gone? I think that we're going to see enough uh enough 11 personnel out of them that it's going to augment the uh, the loss but and they're really good out of 11 too they're not just good out of 21 with back out there they're really good out of 11 but what they love not just that they pass out of 21 either because they do but it's not as if they're more efficient passing out of 21 than they are out of they just like to mix it up for the defenses and be able to dictate you know, Jane, when Jabe Devlin was on the field, Sony Michelle, that's how he scored all of his touchdowns in the postseason last mm. year. Sony Michelle did not have a single rushing touchdown in the playoffs last year when they won the Super Bowl without James Devlin being on the field as his lead blocker. Damn. So it's not as if they couldn't do it from 11, but they like the physicality and what that brings, the style to their offense. And it's going to be unfortunate that they don't have that. And what we just say, that the New England Patriots are one of the best in the league at offsetting losses, on game planning, on yep. figuring other things out. So guarantee they're going to try some other things. But what if that 11 personnel doesn't have the same punch because you can't bring the fullback out there on occasion and utilize that at the second highest rate of any team in the NFL? That That is going to hurt them a little bit, and it's going to affect them far more than any other team because of how much they use that fullback out on the field. In this particular game, they're playing the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills, really good against the pass, struggle like about average, slightly below average against the run. They're also without their starting nose tackle. So you can guarantee that the Patriots are not going to be like, oh, crap, we don't have Devlin. We're just going to throw the ball a lot this week. They're still going to run possibly at the same or more than they normally would based upon the strength of the Buffalo Bills defense. Um, But it is a major factor in the philosophy of Bill Belichick and this Patriots offense moving forward.
So this is a wait and see, see how he sort of changes this offense. Because I know you did the research. The Patriots actually went a lot of 20 in week one, which is two running backs, no tight ends. And you told me that it went so poorly that they haven't run it since. And then I asked you, well, maybe they go two tight ends, one running back. And and you said that they're running that 5% of the time, which is, is that the lowest in the NFL? So these other options that they might be able to do, they have not shown either success doing it or a wantingness to do it yeah in in week one i'm not quite sure why they tried to utilize a lot of 20 i think it was because you know matt lacoste and their tight ends they're not rob gronkowski so they're like look let's just put two fullbacks and spread the field with three wide or a running back and a fullback spread the field with three wides they ran 33 snaps out of 20 personnel they averaged just a 45 percent success rate passes from brady averaged only 5.2 yards per attempt wow Ruck averaged only 3.1 Guess what? They adapted. Week two, scratch it. They didn't use any more 20 personnel. And obviously without Devlin, I don't think they're going to use a lot of 20 personnel. So um, they're very adaptable, but you're absolutely right. It is going to be a factor in kind of um, their, their philosophy and their approach. And we'll see. We'll wait and see what they end up doing and what success they end up having this week against the Bills. I believe it is my responsibility. Warren provides a lot of the information. I try to give the view from 30,000 feet as a normal motherfucker that just happens to love football. And when I asked him last night, he kept saying, you know, they run uh, two running backs, one tight end, the second most in the NFL. And they run uh, uh, three wide receivers, second least in the NFL. And I said, Warren, who runs it more and who uh, than them? And he goes, Kyle Shanahan. This is what I have a question for the rest of the NFL. Patriots, they run two running backs, one tight end, the second most at 38%. Kyle ran it at 40 And then, I look, the whole NFL runs three wide receivers. Belichick does the second most, uh, 11% less. Well, guess what? The league runs three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end at 64%. Kyle Shanahan runs it at 39%. If you did a chart, it would be so far down that you'd go, that is an outlier. We can't include it in it. But I'd ask any football fan out there, whose offense would you want to emulate more? The Patriots and and Kyle Shanahan, Bill Belichick and Kyle Shanahan, or the rest of the NFL? And it makes me want to ask every coach out there, are you blind? Because they're showing you how to do this, and no one's listening, Warren. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Well, look, the issue is everybody thinks that the, the, the fullback is dead. Nobody uses a fullback anymore. So, you know, it's all spread offense and air raid principles coming in, three wide receiver sets. And what I've been finding, and I was like banging this drum for the past couple of years, because I'm looking at these personnel groupies, and I'm like, look, three wides is great. But actually passing out of a little bit of heavier set provides so much more plus EV, so much better expected value because the defense doesn't know you're going to be passed out of those sets. They're anticipating a run is going to happen. And that's one of the reasons why, I mean, Kyle Shanahan is next level. Did you see that pass that Kyle Juszczyk caught down yes. the Against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, first of all, use check like he's getting paid a lot. He's a stud at his position, so he's capable of making those plays. Not not most fullbacks are, but the value of having guys like fullbacks who can be multidimensional, they can help in pass pro, they can go out on wheel routes, they can lead block for a running back. I mean, 
having those jackknife, like uh, Swiss Army knife pieces that can do a lot of things and that prevents predictability is the key to winning in the NFL. It's removing the aspect of predictability. And that's the biggest problem with offenses around the league is when they become too predictable, that's when they're giving the chips back to the defense. And we're going to preach this all season long. Offenses need to, based upon personnel before the snap and pre-snap motion before the snap, try to fool the defense or get keys off the defense. After that snap, post-snap motion as well. We're talking play action here. We're talking like some jet sweep motion. Those types of things also confuse the defense. When you're implementing those things and you're using various different personnel groupings with different, the same guys, but in different roles on yes. the various plays, you are going to cause confusion and conflict for that defense and make a tough job much more difficult for them. I'll sum it up with one statistic that's happened through three weeks this year. Kyle Shanahan is running three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end, 39% of the time. Their offense is top 10 in almost every metric, and they're 3-0. and The Cleveland Browns are running that same formation 91% of the time. Their offense is in the bottom of almost everything, and they're 0-3. Excuse me, they're one and two, and they beat Luke Falk and the New York Jets. Excuse me, one and two. And I, I just think sometimes it's very clear, and as a football fan, we, we want to blame uh, a quarterback and, and how he's not great, or we want to blame a coach, and, and sometimes it's just very simple. And we want to give you that information and explain how football can be that simple. Let's take a look at line movements. You ready for it? Yep. Okay, so the one thing I did, Lauren, is I went back and I calculated the last three weeks of the big line moves that we've seen. And I wanted to see if it moved to a favorite, how did the favorite do? If it moved away from the favorite, how did the favorite do? Through the first three weeks, comparing the look-ahead line, which is the line that came out last Thursday, compared to the line at the Westgate for the Super Contest right now, when the line grew towards a favorite, the favorite covered... They were four and nine against the spread. Two of the four was the Pats and Dolph was the uh, Pats and Dallas against Miami, which I do not believe Miami is a team that we can include in this personally. That's just me. So, which means that the only two teams in which the line, which the public got more excited about and started betting on a favorite more, was last week Chicago against Washington, which to me also feels like another special circumstance, and then also Minnesota against Oakland. When the line shrank, the favorite was 3-2, and two, so not as, as, as uh, indicative. And when the favorite flipped, the favorite was 2-1. and one. But for me, the fact that as the favorites have grown, they're only covering the spread, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm personally, and you tell me if I'm just doing this to make my point uh, better, removing the Patriots in Dallas, covering the spread, two out of 11 times, I think that's a little eye-opening for me. I think it's fair to remove them uh, when you're talking about because you're removing the Miami Dolphins games. And uh, that's a team that just really isn't putting a competitive enough product out on the football field right now. So I don't see any issue with removing that. And two and 11 is certainly two and nine, two and nine, nine. Okay. Two and nine out of 11. Uh, very eye-opening. So with that, I wanted to focus on who are the teams 
that got juiced up as favorites because we are reactionary humans and we watch games. And the first one is, guess who? Ravens-Browns. Ravens, a week ago, when the lines first came out, was a a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Browns. The Ravens go in there and they hang with the Chiefs. The Browns go there on national television and can't. they looked inept against the Rams and the line moved from three and a half to the Ravens to six and a half to the Ravens. I just think it's pretty incredible, though, that we have this one notion where the Browns are obsessed with three wide receivers and the Ravens weakness is facing three wide receivers without Jimmy Smith on the field. And it's a divisional game and the Browns are desperate, and it just kind of opens my eyes with the 2-9 and nine and all of those factors that we've laid out for people. Yeah, and you we're talking about the fact that maybe Cleveland, this is the time that you want to be in 11 personnel, right, against right. the Baltimore. This is the time. Um, it's not going to be easy for Cleveland no. in this uh, going on the road, uh, you know, somewhat of a shorter week, especially compared to what the Ravens uh, were dealing with. And, you know, the Ravens, historically, good home splits for the quarterbacks. They typically do very well at home. But what I will say is at home against the Arizona Cardinals, week two, a rookie head coach, a rookie quarterback, first start on the road for both of those guys. And they were able to move the ball consistently into the Ravens red zone. And what did we notice about the Arizona Cardinals last week when they played the uh, Carolina Panthers? That passing game was efficient, short, but they couldn't open it up, and Kyler Murray was under constant pressure. Um, They were able to do a little bit better against the Baltimore Ravens from those spread formations a week ago in Baltimore, you know, the prior week in Baltimore. So, that that, I mean, I am certainly not running to lay the Baltimore Ravens here. I want to I want to believe in Freddie Kitchens because I love what he was doing last week. What I want him to do is adapt a little bit this week. I want to see if they're going to utilize some things to help Baker Mayfield out a little bit more. Is he going to become that QB friendly coach that Andy Reid is? Andy Reid is so good. I mean, you look at Patrick Mahomes. He's a freak, right? And I know your opinion of Patrick Mahomes greatest of all time. I think you've said most talented, most talented. Patrick Mahomes is a stud, but guess what? Andy Reid makes his life easier. So it looks even better for Patrick Mahomes when he's putting up these numbers because Andy Reid is such a QB whisperer. I want Freddie Kitchens to come in here. I want him to be able to figure out a way to make Baker Mayfield look better, figure out a way to have let Baker's pocket presence and awareness in the pocket be maximized so that they have an easier time against this Ravens defense. I I really want to watch and see how that goes down. Uh, Next line that got juiced up for a favorite, this is a road favorite. The Chiefs, they started off last Thursday as four-and-a-half-point favorites at the Lions. Lions go into Philadelphia, they win. Chiefs look immaculate again. That line has moved from the Chiefs favored by four-and-a-half to in the Super Contest they're favored by six-and-a-half. Again, as I said in the beginning of this segment, the favorites, as they get juiced up, have not done great at covering the spread. I know that you noticed here the Lions actually have a strength of schedule advantage against the Chiefs in terms of the opponents they face thus far this season. Yeah, they do. The, the Detroit Lions um, so far this season, when you look at um, some of their difficulties that they've had, like their offense hasn't looked quite as, you know, I mean, it. It was coming together early on in the season. 
Um, but Detroit, one of the things, what did we know that they want to do? And they showed us this last year. They want to be able to run yes. the ball. And so far, they've played the 15th most difficult schedule of run defenses. Kansas City is the worst run defense in the NFL. And I'll go back again to that Baltimore game. What did we see when Baltimore played Arizona? And, and again, we're kind of hopping around here, but let's play this out. When Baltimore played Arizona, their running back struggled to run the football. Lamar Jackson had to run a lot that game, set a record in how much he ran. Baltimore goes into Kansas City last week on the road, and they're having great game out of their running backs. Remember Mark Ingram's busting runs? Gus all over. Edwards, yeah. Yeah, they were having a great day running. They couldn't do that at home the week before against Arizona. I think it's big for the Detroit Lions to be able to run the football in this game, have that opportunity to be very balanced if they want to and not be in predicaments where we're running the ball, we're very run heavy on early downs, but that's forcing us to go into second and long, third and long. They'll probably be somewhat productive if they do choose to run the ball on first down. And again, the advice is, don't run the ball so much on first down, but we have to handicap not just we want teams to do based on efficiency, but we know their coaches now. What do we think they're going to do? Probably run on first down. In this game, it might be successful. That could help this offense overall set them up for easier second and third and uh, third down situations. I think it's very beneficial for them here. Um, and then on the reverse, I know you were talking to me last night a little bit about the defense of Matt Patricia yes. and what we're going to have to deal with um, and his success against Andy Reid's offense in the past. And maybe we'll dig into that a little bit when we start breaking this game down in more detail. Let's do, let's do it right now. Uh, because I, I look at Patricia and I see that, you know, Belichick has had success. Uh, relatively against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he still put out like 35 and 41, but if you look at Patrick Mahomes in the last game, at least in the AFC Championship, it was a lot of screens, it was a lot of dump-offs, and it wasn't a lot of the downfield attacks that we've seen. Um, yeah, I'm curious because you, you look, Detroit, they've held the under in their last five games at home, uh, but it's, it's such a differing styles where the Lions want to run it and the Chiefs always want to pass it, but I'm curious from what you found, what did you find in terms of potential Patricia's ability to slow down this offense. Yeah, it's, it is going to be interesting. He knows the good part is, um, you know, again, putting the chips in your favor. Patricia knows what this Chiefs team is going to try to do against them. He's had a lot of experience running this very similar defense against this team multiple times in the past. So he knows what Andy Reid wants to do. They don't have Tyreek Hill, but they're fine without Tyreek Hill because uh, Nicole Hardman has really offset oh. that loss. Um, but you're right. It's, it's a really unique style because the Chiefs are the second most pass-heavy team in the league. Detroit is the sixth most run-heavy team in the league. So you got a team that really wants to pass the ball a lot versus a team that really wants to run the ball a lot. The interesting thing here that I'm going to be looking forward to is this Chiefs offense has struggled a little little bit in the red zone. And one of the reasons is they don't have that go-to run back, running back that they can count on down in the red zone with Kareem Hunt not being there. And that's putting more pressure on Patrick Mahomes to be a stud down there. And maybe he's going to be just fine in the long term. But in this particular game, with a little bit of insight of what Patricia knows that they might want to try to do in the red zone, could that be the difference? I mean, we're talking about a spread that's below a touchdown right now and a, a line where it sort of looks to me, 
it's hard for me not to say Detroit could be the side here. I, you know, I'd rather have the seven, but it's hard for me to want to run to back Kansas City with the NFL's worst run defense on the road in this spot against a team that wants to run the ball, probably will try to run the ball. And keep in mind, you know, this this rushing attack from the Detroit Lions, though it ranks 26th in the league, they've played the 13th toughest schedule of run defenses so far. Uh, now they league's easiest run defense. Maybe that's a difference. How, how have you have you seen this before where you have one style and then versus the complete opposite style? And is there is there a way to figure out who's going to win that battle? Is this something that you're going to watch the game and you're going to see the pace of the game and then you do more of an in-game bet for an over, like a total here or at a total, whether it's an under or an over, based on how the game's going? Like, how can we figure this out ahead of time or is it something where we're just going to figure out when the, when the ball gets kicked off? Well, I am never a fan of teams trying to intentionally go slow to limit another team's offense. Um, but that being said, I mean, the Detroit Lions are 17th in adjusted pace of play. So they're basically league average. They're not like super slow. They're not super fast. And there's no real like hard and fast golden rule of which style will win out, which team will win out. It's always matchup based on a particular game. Every single week, it varies a little bit. Um, one of the things that stands out to me is that the Detroit Lions pass defense is the 10th best in the league. Um, and so, yes, the Kansas City Chiefs have the best passing offense, and they love to pass the football, second most in the NFL. They've also faced the 25th-ranked schedule of opposing pass defenses, mm. playing the 10th most difficult schedule of a 10th most difficult opponent in pass defense. So that is something to take into consideration as well. But I don't know just like across the board if there's anything that we should say, well, this typically would happen in this spot. I think this is a matchup-based game. It is interesting. Uh, Mike Daniels did leave the game against Philadelphia uh, with an injury, and Darius Slay left. Now, Darius Slay was at practice this week. He was limited, but he is going, and I think that's huge because I do believe he's one of the best corners in the NFL. Right now, just for people that are out there, the public money is all over Kansas City. 68% of the money right now is going towards Kansas City. Uh, that's what Ingram sent me this morning. So, look, the public loves Kansas City. And to be honest, as a better, it's hard to want to watch a game and go, I need Patrick Mahomes in his first Dome game in the history of his career to have a slow start. But I look at the Detroit Lions defense, and I see a team that's invested in the defensive line, not just in Trey Flowers, but in their draft pick picks uh, with Ashawn Robinson and Deshaun on hand and in Mike Daniels and I see a team that might have a chance to stop the run by only putting down four people and when I see Patricia and I know that he's going to know what Belichick did whether it's showing stuff and then and disguising uh, Patricia has stopped a lot of offenses in Detroit uh, remember they beat New England in Detroit last year uh, they slowed down Cam Newton in Carolina to a crawl last year in Detroit uh, but this is another beast and as somebody that loves the Chiefs and loves making money, it's a scary thought on Sunday to sit there and go, I'm betting against Patrick Mahomes, but I don't think there's any value in, in laying that seven with the Chiefs. So it, it'll be interesting. Anything else you wanted to add there before I move on to the next line movement? No, I think, I think we covered that one. And I would agree. One of the other interesting factors here is we know Andy Reid loves to throw the football to running backs. That's a big part of this offense. It doesn't happen frequently, but it happens for big explosive plays. 
the Lions defense so far year to date is number nine defending running back passes in terms of efficiency. Now, I don't think it's going to, you know, Andy Reid's a totally different beast, but totally. just else to consider. That's good information. Uh, the, this is a question I had for you. The Patriots line was six and a half favorite last week. They're now a seven point favorite. How big of a deal is it that it went from the six and a half to the seven? Um, let me see this line. Well, what we've seen is that this line actually, you're right, six and a half, but that's sort of what it opened at. And now it's been bet a little bit more to seven. Gotcha. So it, from that perspective, like what we didn't see with the with the um, openers at Westgate or any sports book out there, what we want to look at is for the look ahead lines, we want to see when did the odds maker like open this totally different than what it was set on the look ahead. And in this case, they didn't open it that different no. um, within a half a point. And then and a little bit more with New England money up to the seven. So I don't really see, obviously there's a massive difference between six and a half and seven, right. but in terms of like something to glean from this, I don't see anything to... Yeah, I just I just want to check because I know that there's a lot of times where we'll advise people, hey, listen, I know you like it at six and a half, but it, it might be better at seven just because it's a little bit safer. But it's not a drastic one. I just wanted to check on that. And we did talk about how uh, how both teams are facing a much more difficult defense this week. And I think it's interesting when the Patriots, when you factor in the defensive coordinators they face thus far, Greg Williams, who has been shown time and time again to be kind of a joke. Keith Butler, who you have shown on Twitter with the Steelers, is constantly showing himself as a joke. And his disciple, Brian Flores, who is coaching a junior varsity team there in Miami. The Patriots, with Sean McDermott, are experiencing a whole nother team, but not enough of a big line change. Uh, the other big line change here, Warren, Seattle. Going to Arizona, a week and a half ago, or a week ago from today, they were a three-point favorite. Now, after Arizona gets dusted by the Panthers, they are a five-point favorite, the Seahawks are. And what I, what I really want to focus on is this is more of an X's and O's thing. So this is less betting, more X's and O's. All I heard about was how uh, Cliff Kingsbury's offense, it's, it's a 40. So it's, it's four wide receivers, no tight ends, one running back. Ten personnel is what it's called, but uh, four wide receivers is what matters, is how this is going to take over the NFL. And what's funny is last night I go, Warren, I'll tell you what, man, this offense has been looking good. Second half against Detroit, I'm seeing Kyler dishing the ball. You know, that game against Baltimore, I know he's going deep to Demir Bird, and he's hitting Larry Fitzgerald, and they're putting up yards. But then I said, man, so tell me about this four wide receiver offense. It's much, it's better been great. And you compared it to puking all over yourself. You, you're, you told me that it's the opposite. And this Cardinals four wide receiver offense has not been good. What have you found? Well, so 61% of their plays have come from 10 personnel. The league average, including their 61% is 4%. Okay. So the rest of the league. Wow. The rest of the league rarely runs this this style of four wide receivers. When they're out there in four wide receivers, though, it's positive for the run game, spread out the defense. David Johnson is having success. They're averaging 4.8 yards per carry and uh, a 54% success rate. But they're only running 22% of the time out of four wide receiver sets. 
it's 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 basically their passing offense. They're passing when they're in that about eight out of every ten plays. They're going to be passing the football. Then the problem is be, because they're so poor in this ten personnel with those four wides. It's affecting their overall offense. They're only averaging 6.1 yards per attempt and a 36% success rate out of that 10 personnel. And we saw that come to fruition against the Carolina Panthers last week. In that game, Kyler Murray, very efficient with these short passes and lots of open guys, but very difficult to move the ball down the field. And then what ends up happening when you're not getting, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, I think, a balance of efficient versus explosive. Right. You want to be efficient, but you want to have some chunk plays, because what happens is with a line like Arizona, we talked about that entering the season. They don't have a lot of talent on that line. It almost literally killed Josh Rosen last season. So they don't have a lot of talent on that line and they use wide splits and they go a lot of 10 personnel, which means no tight end, which means very little pass pro to help out Kyler Murray. If you sustain a sack on a drive and you're dinking and dunking and getting five yards and six yards on these pass attempts, it's all of a sudden you, lose, you lose like seven yards on a sack. You're not going to be able to offset that on second and third down to get back on track to convert a first down. Like this is an offense right now that can't afford to be sacked. They've been sacked 11 times out of a hundred dropbacks when they're in 10 personnel. And those are like drive killers for a team that can't, get an explosive gain in the passing game. So it, it has not worked thus far. It's helped the run game, but they need to run the ball more out of it. Maybe don't pass eight out of 10 times, maybe pass six out of 10 times from it, be a little bit more balanced and, and try to do a better job of protecting Kyler Murray when you're spreading out that defense. The other thing, though, is they're playing a Seattle team that I think everyone still thinks Seattle's defense is good, uh, even though New Orleans kind of went all over them last, last week. And look, Bengals put up, but you looked at and you, you said it simply, the people they've played, this might actually be a good matchup for the Arizona offense. The Seattle defense might not be as good as anyone's thinking they are. No, there's. I, I think there's definite um, edges for the, uh, for the Arizona Cardinals offense here. If you look at who Seattle's faced, this is, again, this is like the layers that I love sharing. I get so jazzed up for this, Adam, because <laughs> just like, this is my wheelhouse is understanding the context, not just the statistics. Okay. The Seattle defense ranks 17th against the pass. So you're like, okay, this is a league average pass defense. Look at who they have played week one. They played Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton. Great day. You shared last night, the statistics that Andy Dalton put up that week, one game led the NFL week two. They play an injured Ben Roethlisberger for the first half of the game and then they yanked Ben completely out of the football game. They played a backup quarterback who was not prepared to start that game and who had very little real game experience. And he still led two touchdown drives to Vance McDonald. There you go. Then week three, they go and guess who they get? The Saints, but without Drew Brees. The first game that Drew Brees can't play. Teddy Bridgewater, yes, he did have a week to prepare. Yes, we took the Saints plus three in the first half. We talked about it on the show last week. That being said, Teddy Bridgewater did okay in that game. He didn't have a high yards per attempt, but he was very efficient passing the football. I think like a 55% success rate on his passing attempts. Um, and that was on the road, in a dome, um, outdoors, when they're used to playing in a dome, in the rain, and they ended up doing fairly well with Teddy Bridgewater, who is not 
nearly the caliber of a starter quarterback in the NFL. And Sean Payton had to do a lot of different things. He basically throwing the ball to just two dudes, He's throwing the ball to Alvin Kamara a ton. And um, Michael Thomas. Well, Thomas a ton. That was pretty much it. That's all their efficiency. So, and, and that, by the way, you are, that this is something we should know. We talked about earlier how home advantage is not worth as much as it once was and how there's a difference in home field advantage. This is a situation where home field advantage was a massive uh, jump. You take the Saints away from their home dome where they're used to all the crowd noise and send them to Seattle, an outdoor game on the road where they're playing in the elements and the crowd noise up there, that was a big disadvantage for the Saints. And the Saints were still able to be productive offensively through the air against this defense. So Arizona at home being able to pass the ball against a defense that I think has probably been inflated in terms of their numbers. It looks a little bit better than what they are. They've played six of their last uh, 12, six uh, of their 12 quarters this season against backup quarterbacks. And the only full game that they faced a real quarterback was Andy Dalton two weeks, three weeks ago. I mean, I think that there's some opportunity for Kyler Murray and this Arizona Cardinals passing attack. The last three times that Arizona has hosted Seattle and think about how bad Arizona has been the last three years. And the fact that Seattle's pretty much made the playoffs every year. They lost by three. They lost by six, and they tied six to six. And I do know that we've talked about before, Arizona has a home field advantage that a lot of people don't realize. It's not a home, it's not Kansas City, uh, it's, it's not one of these places where it's known, but it's there, and it's real. And I know that you look at this team and there's going to be opportunities for Seattle's offense to put up points, but it's going to require them to pass the ball. And we know that the Seattle Seahawks have a tendency to be obsessed with running the ball. And it just, it could turn into something, but it's one of those things, again, we don't know what Seattle's going to do. If they pass, they could have success. I just don't know what they're going to do, Warren. That's the tough part here. Um, you know, Brian Schottenheimer really loves to run the football. They have, they've had, in the, in the, I think in the first half of games, 12 second and 10 plus yards to go. Very bad situations. Um, and he's run the ball 50% of the time in those situations. Those run plays are gaining 1.3 yards per carry. They have one of the most run-heavy uh, rates in the NFL to start games. And this is one of the reasons why we liked the uh, New Orleans Saints last week. Why do we take them in the first half instead of the full game? Because I didn't want to deal with Teddy Bridgewater for four quarters, number one. But number two, we know that this, the uh, Seattle Seahawks and Brian Schottenheimer specifically start off slow. In this game, they got to break some tendencies. They got some really well-defined tendencies that any DC should be looking at. These guys love to run the football. They love to run the football on first down. Guess what could happen if they chose to break those tendencies here? The Arizona Cardinals defense is one of the worst in two situations. They're terrible if they think it's going to be run based on the personnel grouping. If you use 12 personnel, they're terrible. So if you, if you put two tight ends on the field and they think, oh, they might run it, their defense stinks. Their, their defense stinks because they start playing the run and they're down two starters in that secondary. And they Patrick just, Peterson, yep. They don't have as much talent. Then Robert Alford. Play, right, exactly, Robert. And then the other scenario where they're also bad is if you use play action, where you trick the defense to think that it after the snap, it could be a run. They come up, they bite, they get all, their, their spacing gets messed up, they leave guys uncovered, and tight ends have absolutely been killing them. 
This could be a really good game for Will Disley, for all you fantasy DFS players out there. Uh, but I definitely think that the Seattle Seahawks, if they choose to pass the ball more on first down, and if they choose to utilize some more play action and get aggressive through the air, the Seattle Seahawks are getting ready to play a couple of really good pass defenses. In fact, their strength of schedule of pass defenses the rest of the year is the hardest in the league. Wow. They're going to be times when they're going to need to rely a little bit more on the run game because the pass defenses are so good. This week is not that time, and I hope Ryan Schottenheimer turns the ball a little bit more to Russell Wilson. He was a stud last week uh, coming back against the Saints. He's been a stud for a number of years now. Let him throw the football around against this defense that really gets confused utilizing play action. I know that my betting mind right now is like, I wish I knew the answer to this question because I know if Seattle comes out and runs it, I'm loving Arizona plus five and a half. And if they come out and they pass it, it's like, who cares about five and a half points? They might get tore up like they did last week by Kyle Allen. It's just, that's the mystery about betting on football is you're relying on coaches that have egos and that all of a sudden the light might go off. But I tend to bet against the light going off just because I know that coaches are stubborn, but that's why this, that's why this is hard, 33%. This is why this is hard, homies, because you have all the information in front of you and you have the roadmap, but you don't know who's driving the car. And they might not give a shit about the roadmap. So it's, it's tough sometimes. And that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it unpredictable, which brings excitement to it. Um, obviously, it's more exciting when you're winning your wagers, but it's kind of like the uh, the heartbeat. Like if it was too predictable and too easy, um, you know, sports books would jack up the lines and uh, we would never have as much value and there might not be as much opportunity to profit. But because there's so many different wrinkles and edges and we could be ahead of certain things, um, that's what gives value for us um, from a betting perspective. And it's what makes the games very unpredictable and exciting, although sometimes, albeit very frustrating. Uh, so one other game that moved, uh, this was not a favorite that got juiced up, as we've shown. If you check out the Miami games, that's 2-9. and nine. And, and again, let me just repeat that. The, the favorites that got juiced up since the uh, look-ahead lines, Ravens went from 3.5 to 6.5 hosting the Browns. Chiefs went from four and a half to six and a half at the Lions. Patriots went for, uh, that was not a juiced up one. Seahawks went from three to five and a half at Arizona. This is an example of a line that shrunk, but a team is still the favorite. Bears went from three to one and a half point favorites hosting the Lions. Um, and I, I went back and I, I love Warren's work so much that I wrote it all down into a doc and I check it from time to time. And one of them was this statistic. Since 2004, when the Vikings are playing an outdoor road game at a team with a 500 record or better, they are 0, 10, and 1. And this is a game where it's happening. And so I see a statistic, and again, these are trends. And trends are not something that Warren cares that much about because he is a smarter guy than me. I hear trends where a team that hasn't won an outdoor game against a team 500 or better, and I go, take me to the window. And so here we have the line where the Bears have gone from three to one and a half. But do you put a lot into that statistic, or am I just getting too excited because I'm a noob? No, I mean, look, that's a particular statistic that does uh, – that should resonate a little bit and you should factor in. I was the one who came up with that, uh, like looking at that angle. And it is a, it is a concern. I mean, Mike Zimmer's teams have not played 
that many road teams that are winning records did not play many games outdoors like this. And those opponents tend to do pretty well. Obviously, the, the line move is telling you that um, Minnesota has been taking some money, but it looks like that's also some it's very public side, which is rare when you see a team like the Bears go out and absolutely dominate the Redskins. Yes. For multiple quarters in that game, the Redskins, it was like at halftime where they're going to fire Jay Gruden. That's how bad the Redskins were looking. And then they come back late in that game. And all of a sudden, you know, people don't want to bet on the Bears this week against the Vikings. To me, it's like this beautiful thing. By the way, 64% of public money right now is on Minnesota, clearly dropping the line from three to one and a half for the Bears. But it's so funny that a team dominates the first half. And because Mitchell Trubisky threw an interception to Josh Norman in the red zone, when that happened, it became an online cacophony of shitting on Trubisky. I'm watching Orlovsky battling people on Twitter. I'm seeing, you know, other ESPN talent like Lewis Riddick have to defend Trubisky, people are waiting to dive in and say, you were drafted ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, you're not good. And they looked over the fact that, wow, they're up 28 to three, like it was nothing. And in a weird way, it skewed the public because it was a standalone Monday night game. And we're looking at a Minnesota team that, yes, they've looked phenomenal against the Raiders and the Falcons at home. But in their game against the Packers, Kirk Cousins was throwing bad interceptions. And if you take away a 75-yard touchdown from Dalvin Cook, his statistics are a lot more average. So it kind of eye-opens to the fact that, oh, and by the way, Trubisky's home road splits are like so wild that at home at this time of the year, he's good. It just, it piques my interest, Warren Sharp. It piques my interest. As it, as it should. Um, we've talked about here, though, that, yeah, Mitchell Trubisky has uh, Matt Nagy schemed around some of the weaknesses of Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, he, he's he's worked around those because Mitch uh, does struggle in certain areas uh, passing the football and opposing defenses are starting to figure that out a little bit more. So a defense like Mike Zimmer is going to be fascinating to see what he's figured out with one year to really study these two together. Uh, from the 2018 season, what he's going to do in terms of changing things this upcoming uh, game against them defensively. But you, you, the other factor is, of course, Taylor Gabriel, I think, uh, who caught three touchdowns. He's going I think he's going to be out. I don't know. He's dealing with a concussion, right, Adam? So uh, right. we'll have to see if he come back and practice on Friday or not. If he can't, then most likely he's going to be out, though there is a small chance that he could be ruled back in. Um, so the, the Bears are dealing with a couple of injuries, too. But you're absolutely right. I mean, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, they're, they're an interesting team playing on the road outdoors uh, should be very fascinating. Uh, just for I just looked this up. I just want to clarify Mitchell Trubisky at home against the Vikings. Let's just get some statistics out there. 2017 is rookie year uh, when he was kind of coming up. Uh, 128 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Vikings win 20 to 17. Uh, and that was a Vikings team that went on to have a pretty good season. Uh, went on to the NFC Championship game to lose to the Eagles. 2018, it was a five-point Bears win against the Vikings. Uh, Trubisky, though, 165 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. So I just want to say this one more time. Trubisky throws for 165, one touchdown, two interceptions, and they beat the Vikings by five in Chicago. Like, he didn't even play well, and they won that game by five. So for me, this is more about the 
what are we going to see out of the Vikings offense in Chicago? Then what are we going to see from Trubisky? Cause they've, they've already, they've had success against this team. It's just, it's interesting. Am I reading too much into it? Anytime I go too far, I need you to go, Adam, you're being a noob. No, you're not reading too much into it. And I remember that game clearly in that game, Kirk cousins really struggled. I threw, think he threw an interception into the end zone. Um, you know, so Kirk cousins, that's the other thing we're, we're talking a lot about Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah. We also should be be accounting for Kirk Cousins going up against this pass defense. How about this pass defense? And they just lost their slot receiver in Chad Beebe, and they're bringing back Laquan Treadwell, who hasn't been on the team in four weeks. This is a team that has had a lot of success when that running game gets going. But the, the one injury that I think I'm going to be paying attention to before I get too excited about this game is probably going to be Akeem Hicks. Uh, because I think Akeem Hicks, we saw him walking off. He was day-to-day. Leonard Floyd was day-to-day. I'm going to pay attention to the injury reports. Again, we're recording this on Thursday. Smart betters wait until Friday or Saturday when we see three practices. If Akeem Hicks is a DMP, 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 I'm going to get a little scared because I want that depth at the same point. I know there's depth on the depth on the bears, but I want to make sure. I think that's the fair way to go about this one. I think so too. And don't underestimate how big of a game this is. This is, uh, you know, the, the green Bay Packers, you got to keep pace with the green Bay Packers who, uh, obviously are in the tops of this division right now. And both of these two teams, um, this could be go a long way, especially for Chicago, of having a shot at winning this division because Minnesota is going to be a team that's probably going to be in this thing at the end as well. And head to head schedule could be massive. How big of a deal is the Monday night football versus Sunday, the six day short week? Is there anything with that of the impact that has? Um, there is a little bit of a factor. It's never great when you're playing on the road and you have to do a little bit of extra traveling. Most of these teams have already figured out their game plans prior to that Monday yeah. night. So they already know like what they're going to do against the Vikings, but it's uh, rest for the players and adjustment and all of those types of things where you want to tweak that game plan based upon the last game. You want to get your players a little bit of health. So it's never ideal. It's not crippling, however. It's it feels like it's a lot safe, though, if you play Monday night football and then your next game is at home. Is that a lot better than a Monday night football and then a trip? Yeah, I mean, the best scenario is home, home, your home. Uh, Monday night, and then you're home again. But um, yes, I, I think you're a slightly better situation when you're not doing the traveling after a road Monday night game. So the two games that were exciting me the most uh, in the one o'clock slate was Chiefs, Lions, and Patriots, Bills. I'm pretty sure that we tackled everything there. I don't think there was any notes you had that were in addition to that. The only other prime time was there anything else you had? No, I think okay, you're right. Good. The only other primetime game, though, that I think has caught a lot of sharp money, and I think it's one of the more interesting games of the week, is Cowboys-Saints. Uh, Cowboys right now, two-and-a-half-point favorites at the Saints. And with Teddy Bridgewater and with the Saints coming off of a fumble return touchdown and a punt return touch or kick return touchdown, I think it was a punt return touchdown, it's caught a lot of sharp money. Right now, uh, Dallas, I'm seeing getting about... Uh, uh, 57% of the money. Uh, the other thing, though, is looking at this matchup from last year, I feel like you could have grasped a lot of information from the Week 13 game where it's the same situation. Dallas went to New Orleans. What did we see in that game that we can use for this matchup? The biggest thing to me in that game was the amount of pressure that Drew Brees, the quarterback at the time, 
before the Saints was under. In that game, Drew Brees was under pressure left and right from this Dallas Cowboys defense. And what he ended up having to do, which is pretty unique, is he had to throw 14 passes to his running back. So the way that he split up his passing because of that pressure and him needing to get the ball out of his hands quickly is he threw 14 passes to wide receivers and 14 passes to running backs, zero to tight ends. And those 14 passes to running backs includes Alvin Kamara, one of the most dynamic running backs in the league, catching the ball out of the backfield. Out of those 14 passes, only one of them produced a successful gain. That's 7%. And that they averaged 2.9 yards per attempt. So they had a terrible time trying to pass the ball to Alvin Kamara. The Cowboys defense was really good defending those types of passes. And, you know, the wide receivers, it just wasn't enough. They weren't able to, like, move the ball enough. I remember that game. In addition to the pressure, it was how many punts, how many times the Saints were going three and out, three and out, three and out. Sean Payton's a proud guy. He is going to come in with some adjustments, but the problem is he can't make those adjustments with Drew Brees. He's trying to make those adjustments with Teddy Bridgewater. And there's a significant um, you know, drop-off in production that you can expect out of your passing game when you're dealing with Teddy Bridgewater instead of Drew Brees. I was surprised. One of the things we talked about on the show last week was that the Saints would go in with Sean Payton to Seattle and utilize a lot more Taysom Hill and work him into the passing attack. But they didn't use him at all. And whether that was they had a lead and they didn't think they needed to incorporate him into the mix. So they're putting him on the side and going to work some magic this game and save him for this one. Or it was a situation where they don't have a third string quarterback and they wanted to make sure that like they won't get guys, you Taysom gets hurt or Teddy gets hurt and then you don't have a backup. Um, so they were trying to save him from that perspective. I'm not sure what the situation was, but at the end of the day, um, it, it's not going to get any easier for the Saints, and we know how much more dynamic the offense is for the Dallas Cowboys. We know how bad the Saints' defense has been against the Yeah, Rockets. focus on that, because I think in this matchup, people like to focus on uh, the Saints' offense and the, against the Dallas defense, but this year we're seeing such a different Dallas defense, Dallas offense, and I will say this about the Saints. I find their defensive line to be very impactful. I think they can generate a lot of rush. Cam Jordan is a phenomenal player. It's the back end. It's the secondary and these linebacker issues. Saints are having to bring in Stephon Anthony, a former first-round pick that they kind of cut a few years ago when he's floated around the league, but they lost Alex Anzalone, and I'm looking at this Dallas team, and their different uses of formation, their way that everyone needs to be afraid of Zeke. It's what they're building off of Zeke that's so interesting. So I, I feel very confident in Dallas's defense. I believe they have the two linebackers that they can look at Kamara and go, if he goes left, Jalen Smith, you got him. If he goes right, Van Der Esch, you got him. Oh, your other option is Michael Thomas? I got Byron Jones, who's so much more athletic than Michael Thomas, it's going to be a hard day's work. But now... I got a Dallas offense that I think could really make life tough for the Saints defense. And they're not coached by Sean Payton. No, and the Dallas offense is getting tremendous productivity. The, the problem with it, they're super productive in every single personnel grouping, and they're mixing it up. They're using 11, they're using 12, they're using 21. Uh, they're even getting in a little bit of 13 uh, with three tight end sets, uh, a couple plays out of 20. I mean, they're very diverse with the personnel deployment, and they're very good with their post-snap uh, motion, their, their, their play-action game. Um, and 
those are things that are going to affect this Saints defense. I mean, the Saints, we were surprised. You know, week one, we took the Houston Texans against the Saints. And one of the things that I wasn't so sure yeah, about. Plus, plus seven. It was beautiful. And how well is Carlos Hyde going to run the ball? Because I don't really love Carlos Hyde. He was gutting that Saints run. Gutting. And so Carlos Hyde can gut you up like that. What do you think this Cowboys offensive line with Zeke might be able to do? And then if you try to come up and stop that, we know that what Kellen Moore is bringing to the table, play action, deeper shots, spreading the ball around. Obviously, we know that the Dallas Cowboys are down one of their wide receivers, but in Michael Gallup, but this is still a team that's very balanced, has a lot yeah. of ability to be explosive in the air with Amari Cooper. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a challenge for the Saints defense. I think uh, the thing, too, that's very interesting to me, and this is more me watching football, and it's it's so I'm diving too deep into one thing, but Dallas is a team. I watched Teddy Bridgewater in the locker room almost crying, saying thank you to everybody. Last week was an emotional win for the Saints. It was their first win. It was their first game without Drew Brees. It was the first start for Teddy Bridgewater, really, since that injury. And it, it meant something. And there's a release that comes with that. The Dallas Cowboys were up 10-6 to 6 on the Miami Dolphins at halftime. They went out there and tried to destroy that team. And they got caught up. And the Dolphins even ran a flea flicker. And that went to Preston Williams. And call me crazy... But when a team has some, some trick plays run against them, that next practice, everybody's tight. And that next practice, they're going, you think that you can be in halftime 10-6 against the Dolphins, and we're going to go in in New Orleans. You know what Sean Payton's going to do. I think they're going to be ready for every trick play. I think Dallas at almost every level is a more athletic team than the New Orleans Saints. And I think that I... I look at the Saints last week, and I felt like they exploded, and I, I just don't see it. So um, I, I kind of have five picks, but they're very much based off your analytics right now. I'm obviously going to watch the injury reports, but these are the five ways that I'm leaning in the Super Contest, and I'm realizing that most of them are games that are coming from the huge line movements. But... Tell me if I'm crazy. I, I've liked Dallas minus two and a half the entire time. It's a, it's a side that I know it's with sharp money. I kind of think it's going to grow even further as this week goes on. Uh, I really like Buffalo plus seven against New England. Um, I like... I kind of like Arizona plus five and a half. I'm just a little scared of it, but I love the home field split. What, what I've said so far, those three, are you in alignment with those three or am I getting a little scary and, 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 and kind of enjoying this information too much? I don't think you're getting scary. The one thing I will add to your narrative, which is like the narrative capping of the Saints game, is that was a very astute point that you actually brought up and something 33% should uh, start to factor in. When you have quarterback injuries, oftentimes what happens is we get a very game effort, that very first game that that backup has to enter the, the situation. The whole team steps up, and I think we, it cannot go under-discussed how the New Orleans Saints stayed out west, away from the distractions of their families, between the game at the Rams and the game in Seattle. They had the opportunity to bond with Teddy Bridgewater, our quarterback, devise the best style of offense. All these reasons last week we shared why we liked the Saints last week. But you take all that and then you go back home with all your families. You're feeling yourself a little bit. 
I think that that is a factor. And definitely like the second game with that backup quarterback, typically there is there can be a little bit of a drop off. Um, that will be a very sharp versus square game. There's no doubt about it. I think that a lot of people are going to be betting on the Dallas Cowboys there. Uh, but it looks like a you know, like a team that we're playing. Uh, if you're taking Dallas, you're playing against a Saints team that probably inflated their score by those two defensive scores and looked a little bit better than what they actually were. Um, and uh, it's never a bad thing to kind of say, hey, maybe I don't want to be on this team uh, this very next week. The other two, I definitely see your logic in those for sure. And then I would say, so I've already said Buffalo plus seven, Arizona plus five and a half, Dallas minus two and a half. And the other two I'm leaning to are, uh, I am leaning to Cleveland plus six and a half. Uh, I don't I don't see this story getting destroyed. Uh, I, I'm seeing an angry Baker Mayfield and all this stuff, and it is a divisional game. And for a line movement to change by three points uh, with a Ravens defense that I think might be susceptible, uh, it's one that I kind of like the value there. Um, is that crazy for me, even though I know I'm betting against the coach? No, I don't think it's crazy. Uh, look, that I, one's I, probably going to change, to be honest. Yeah, and, and I don't think Freddie Kitchens is a bad coach. I just think he's coaching with where he thinks his strength is. He thinks his strength is those three wides, so that's why he's putting him out there. I think he – I'm hoping he'll make some adjustments, but I don't, I don't necessarily think he's a, he's a bad coach. The other thing we will say is, like, putting an offensive coordinator – I mean, Freddie Kitchens was a running back coach. Then he moved to an offensive coordinator calling plays. Now he's the head coach. It's a lot of new responsibility on his shoulder. It's a very difficult thing in the NFL to have that cap and wear it. Um, he needs to get really good really quick at being able to uh, manage his time better as well as being willing to uh, pass responsibilities and tasks yeah. on others. The, the last one that I kind of like is I like Carolina plus four and a half um, at the Texans. Um, I just, I think it's a good matchup. I don't think that, I think this offense might actually get, continue to be efficient with Kyle Allen. And I look at the Texans and I see a game in which uh, they won. And a lot of people are excited about going from West coast back to Houston. And I just think it's a good matchup for a Carolina defense that I think a lot of people are sleeping on. This is a Carolina defense that shut down Jared Goff. This is a Carolina defense that destroyed Kyler Murray. And it's a Carolina defense that did really well against the bucks. It was more of a cam Newton thing. That was the issue. So I like the matchup there. Uh, uh, that one I feel a lot more confident about, to be honest. Yeah, and keep in mind, what have we seen with the Turners down in Carolina? When Cam was healthy last year, this team kicked ass. And when Cam got hurt last season and was playing injured for a little while, remember he was playing through the shoulder issue and it wasn't going so well, they didn't obviously look good. What would have, what have we seen weeks one and two? It was Cam Newton coming back from that same shoulder surgery that he got he didn't look that accurate. He certainly couldn't run the football because he had a foot injury and you weren't getting the efficiency out of that quarterback position. Now you put Kyle Allen in there, a guy who can run a little bit, a guy who can throw the ball and lo and behold, they're doing pretty well. So I think the, here's an interesting one where you don't just take the Cam Newton splits, take the Cam Newton health versus not health and take a look at what this team, the Carolina Panthers, was able to do when Cam was healthy versus when he's been banged up and injured but still trying to play through that, and I think you'll be surprised. 
We're going to call Crack now, my proxy in Las Vegas. Uh, again, uh, he is available from the Crack Wins app. And so what I ask for you guys to do is if you want to check it out, uh, the Crack Wins app, you get his weekly picks along with great betting tips, strategies, and insider content. He is entering my picks in the Super Contest. And Warren, I don't know if I told you I'm 10-5 and five in the Super Contest. Um, we're doing pretty well. Hey, Crack, how are you? Good. How are we doing, guys? Uh, I was just telling uh, Warren that I'm 10 and 5, which means I'm pretty much in the top 33% of the Super Contest, which is kind of beautiful. I dig it. That's great. No, you're really doing great. That's, uh, I, you know, I, I, it's amazing. I was talking about this before. I, it's amazing to me some of these guys that are like, uh, you know, almost, uh, there's, there's, there's guys unbeaten in these pools. Uh, I think the, the other one has like, 30 guys that are like with one loss, like, wow, between the both of them, these guys, it's it really, there's so much of a luck factor that it, it really is great to be in the top percentile. Like you said, 10 and five, you keep on doing that. You're going to get a paycheck. We got it. Oh, is there payouts that are not just the top payout? Oh yeah. There's really, there's payouts, I there's didn't know this all the way down. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's payouts. This pay, I, I think they pay out a hundred people or something like that. Actually, it's funny we're in this contest. We don't even know. I'm pretty sure that there's a top hundred guys or something like that. I'll have that answer for you for next week. Warren, what were uh, you about to say? I think it's top fifty. I'll have that. Used to oh, be top fifty. Okay, cool. Yeah, it used to be top twenty, and the year it was top twenty. I finished twenty first. Oh and I was, my god! Uh, but yeah, I think it's top. They expanded it now, and I think it's top fifty. Um, oh, yeah. but, but I think well, that that information every three weeks, you're going to get paid. Yeah. yeah, we feel good. But I, I'll tell you what it's this show is is not we're, we're not touting. You know, what I mean, we're not telling people that these are guarantees. And I think the fact that we can all sit here and marvel at the fact that there's a number of people that have gone 15 and 0 and 14 and 1. They're sitting at home right now thinking they're geniuses. And what's really funny is, is if they went five and 10 the next three weeks, if I went five and 10 the next three weeks, I would not be shocked because that's how hard it is to do this stuff. Crack, let me give you the, the yeah, right, it's insane. Sure. The, the five games that I'm leaning towards right now, and again, I will text you tomorrow night, and then to all the people out there, I will update on Twitter, at Adam Lefko, what my entries will be for the Super Contest, because the ones I'm given right now, they may change due to injury, they may change just, because I'm going to go home and research more, but the five games I'm leaning towards are Dallas minus two and a half, Crack. Dallas minus two and a half is... Uh... New Orleans, big primetime game for New Orleans. It opened at three and a half, actually down to two and a half now. So, uh, you know, it's going to be that old home dog situation. Of course, the quarterback uh, not being there on New Orleans, Dallas playing pretty good. So, you know, but I, I got to tell you, I'm staying away from that game because Dallas, I think they played the Warren on those better than me. I think Dallas played Miami. Of course, we know last yep. week. Miami Giants Washington and Washington. And Giants. Yep, you're yeah, right. So, I. I I have to see him. Maybe I know they're picked as one of the, uh, not just America's team, but one of the good teams this year. So uh, I'll be rooting for you there for sure. That's yeah, and and again, that's why I appreciate you because I'm going to go back and reevaluate that one. Uh, I like Buffalo plus seven uh, hosting New England. Hey, that's my. I'm I'm with you. That's, yeah. my, that's one of my key teams this week. Oh yeah. I like um, I like Carolina no, the, plus four and a half uh, at Houston. Okay. Okay, Houston just come off beating the Chargers. Carolina, you know, beat uh, an Arizona team. Yeah, that, that, okay, I, I would agree with that. I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have that game. The Buffalo game, though, just to go back to that real quick, 
This is a giant game for Buffalo. They're playing three and zero. The crowd's going to be crazy. They're going coming home for this game, playing against a superpower. Um, you know, I don't know if 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 Warren would know this. I don't know if New England's one hundred percent really healthy. Of course, Devlin, but uh, Edelman, Brady. I, I I I don't know how healthy those guys are. I know Brady a little casting. Of course, he's playing, but. So I think it's a big spot for Buffalo. I'm even looking at maybe some money line out here. Wow, I love it. Brian Westbrook yeah. on the show also thinks he's going Buffalo with a win, which I love. Um, and then my my last two, uh, again, these are subject to change. Arizona plus five and a half hosting Seattle and Cleveland plus six and a half uh, going to Baltimore. And I love Baltimore. That just feels like a field goal game to me. You know, uh, I, I talk about what a friend of mine, what your picks are going to be, uh, what I think they're going to be. I thought you were going to pick Baltimore. <laughs> Is it? Do you like it more uh, or less than I took Cleveland? Well, uh, you know, I think Cleveland is, is not who we thought they were going to be. Uh, and, and, and we're seeing now uh, Baltimore, you know, they're, they're, it's six and a half minus 20 now. It's seven in a couple spots. So the line um, – with, with taking Cleveland maybe a little bit. You know, listen, the, the off-season hype machine was all Browns, and it's kind of been peeled away, and they're showing they're kind of an average team. But yeah. this is a big it's a big spot for them, so I'll, I'll be rooting for you there. Any uh, any games that I didn't say that Crack has his eye on? Uh, Detroit. Everyone loves KC. Uh, Detroit just come off a big win in, in Philly. Uh, this, this could be kind of a letdown game. This could be a letdown game for Kansas City. Everyone's thinking that they're like, Super Bowl contenders. Um, I know. I know a sharp syndicate group uh, that just bet Detroit out here plus six and a half. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna include Detroit on my uh, on, on my picks. But right. I'm, I'm with you on Buffalo too. That's what I'm doing. I'm I'm, uh, I'm with it. you on those too. So yeah. I'm All right, one. crack. I'm gonna be texting you, buddy, and we'll we'll do this together. Yeah, no problem. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you guys later. You're the man, dude. Again, Crack wins that. Weekly picks, great betting tips, strategies, insider content. And to be honest, me and Warren talk about this a lot. Me and Warren care about one thing more than anything, and that's good fucking people. Because we both are psychopaths. We were talking last night at about 2.45 in the morning, and Warren goes, I'm going to hang up the phone. I have more work to do. Uh, we, we really only like doing the thing. We like this. We like talking about the games and we know that it's not an exact science, but, um, when you guys are in our mentions, the 33%, the homies, and, uh, you're sending us tickets or you just appreciate the information. That's the reason we're doing it. So, um, Warren, I appreciate you, brother. Uh, I, I mean this when I say this, and I just want it on the record that nobody puts in more fucking effort than Warren. This is not some bullshit social media, Twitter, Instagram thing where he finds information and he hides in the closet and like, no, like this man fucking grinds and I respect it. Um, is there anything else you want to get out um, information wise or just anything in general, Mr. Sharp? No, I think we're good. Uh, I'm feeling pretty positive about this card this week. And, you know, hopefully uh, you guys are going to be able to take some of what we're sharing and then watch the game with a little bit of a different eye. Don't care so much about what the announcers say. Try to think back to this show. Some of the things I would take notes. Adam's so good at this. This is one of his real good qualities. Very organized, takes a lot of notes, so he knows what to look for. I would advise you guys to be going through this podcast and and taking notes on everything that we're doing here and saying, and then watching the games and see if you're noticing and picking up on some of those things, uh, because 
there's nothing better for me at least than to watch games and have a different perspective heading into that game than I thought I would have and, and learning something from it. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's the key. And then again, pay attention. I will tweet out the actual Super Contest picks a little bit later, but this weekend will be really great. And again, uh, you can get 20% off Warren Sharp's website, and, and that's possible for like to get your picks for Sunday, right? Yeah, I mean, we do fantasy football, we do prop betting, but we also do my wagering, uh, everything that I'm giving out to my clients privately at Sharp Football Analysis. Um, yeah, you could use the code SHARP20. I'm not going to advertise that anywhere else. It's just for you guys. And he went 5-0 uh, and last week, but it's a weirdly shaped ball. But let me just say that it wasn't a weirdly shaped 5-0. and It was pretty solid right down the middle. Sharp, you're the freaking man uh, to go out. Oh, we're doing the other music, which means we're saving the cash register. I'm going to download it. I'm going to listen to it on the way home. Warren, you're the man. Obviously, follow uh, Sharp at Sharp Football on Twitter. Be well, my friend. All right. Peace out, homies.